coming up in this episode. Really, really bad luck uh, this past year in terms of health. And who covered for me? My co-founder. And she understands. She's not going to tell me, oh, well, fucking hell, you have been sick the third time this year. No, she's going to understand because she knows me. As human beings, we we need to actually have multiple purposes in order to feel satisfied, you know, emotionally and, and, and mentally and so on. Yeah. And that's, you know, through relationships, like you said, whether that's romantic relationships, friendship circles, responsibilities as a parent or a partner, you know, or a husband or a wife. Um, and then, yeah, professional, you know, responsibilities too. I, at the beginning, I wanted to talk to the founders that were already fundraised and mm. that had more experience than me. And I've seen so many of them that didn't answer or were a bit rude or didn't even like acknowledge my message. Mm. And I want to do the contrary of that. I feel like I will be learning from somebody at any point, even if they have less experience than me in X things like fundraising, I still think I can get something out of that conversation. So um, I think founders should speak to founders. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hey Greg, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? All good, all good. Good to see you again. How's things? Good, good, good. Good to see you as well. Everything went very really well. I'm back in London after one month in Spain and uh, ready for September. <laughs> Brilliant. How was, how was Spain? Tell me about that. Oh, it was very hot. So literally <laughs> spending all day at home because I actually worked, but um, at least I had the beach in front. So that was really nice. But very, oh, very hot. I, AC always on. Yeah. Where, whereabouts in Spain were you? Next to Valencia. Uh, Next to where, sorry? Valencia. Oh, lovely. Oh, okay. Oh, well. well, I'm well very how jealous. was your summer? Um, yeah, it was all right. I mean, everyone in the UK, you probably found out already, everyone in the UK is saying it was yeah. kind of hit and miss. Like, now seems yeah. to be the best part of it right now, which is really weird. <laughs> like, yes. as we're heading it's really weird. <laughs> towards, uh, yeah, but uh, hey, I'm going to take it. I'm calling it limited edition right now. Do you know what I mean? So, yes, like, let's exactly. uh, make the most of it. Um, so, 100%. Yeah, whenever I can, yeah, whenever I can, I'm going to sit in the garden and, and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, it sounds like Spain would have been nice. probably a better choice for all of us uh, in the last the last month. Yes, although it was way too hot. Like yeah. from 9 a.m. until like 7 p.m., you couldn't leave the house. It was you were melting. Oh really? They they had fire uh, problems with uh, wildfires as well in Spain, yeah. didn't they? So yeah. yeah, I had a wildfire. First time I see a wildfire in real life uh, next to my house, like twenty minutes away, uh, and literally the flames were huge. But they managed to control it in like twenty four hours, which is good enough. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I can't imagine what that must have been like seeing that. That must have been a very surreal thing to see. Yeah, because in the moment you're just like. Okay, because my friend was driving and we were looking at it and we're like, what, what's happening? It's crazy. Mm. And it feels like literally surreal. It feels like you're in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it managed to get it under control. That's good. Well, look, um, yes. thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I promise, um, I, well, I hope that this will be an enjoyable uh, next couple of hours for you. Um, I'm sure. So, so um there, there is a little bit of structure to this to this show, not much. <laughs> um, and and what it is is really at the beginning. What I like to do is just hand over the the sort of mic, as it were, to my guest, and just let them introduce themselves, 
tell us a bit, you know, tell anyone listening um, about a bit about yourself and a bit about the business. And then uh, and then I'm probably going to get have a few questions to to ask you to find out a bit more about you and what you do and stuff, if that's OK. So go ahead. Take it Perfect. So um, I'm Irina, CEO and co-founder of Zim. Um, I founded Zim alongside my co-founder, Julia, two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. Time passes by very, very fast. And um, it was because we traveled to the Philippines in 2019. We discovered this issue of connectivity that we were having. Once we arrived at our travel destination, we had to buy a local SIM card or pay extremely expensive roaming fees. At the time, we were students. so definitely had no money for roaming fees and um uh also we queued for to buy a sim card locally and it didn't work because we were at a very very remote part of the island and that was really frustrating and then we discovered eSIM technology which was already developed by apple integrated into many devices and we were like why is this not used by users everywhere in the world while they're traveling so we actually decided to create a solution for our own personal uh, issues, and then it became a business. Brilliant. And I see that you're, um, you're currently crowdfunding on Cedars as well. So we actually ended that a couple of days ago, and um, oh, yeah. we need to remove that from the website. We successfully raised from Cedars. We achieved 105% of our goals. So that was really, really nice. Amazing. Um, Congratulations. And having investors that are going to be affiliates of them that believe in the product and will talk to their friends about it, to the network. So that was kind of the goal of the campaign. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations on the successful uh, raise. Um, that's always good to hear. Thank you. So, so, so have you, have you, uh, that's it now. Are you done with fundraising for a little while? So you're going to focus on, on other things or are you still looking at angels and stuff? Or what's the situation there? So that the answer to the question is going to be yes and no. So we are fundraising. Okay. Yes, we. Are. I think we're always fundraising, and we're always talking yeah. to different investors for different opportunities. Maybe not for the current moment, but in the future, we'll definitely need to fundraise again. So yes, we're fundraising, but no, I'm not going to spend as much time as I did in the past months to fundraise. I am actually mm. going to dedicate my time to grow the business and uh, mm. increase revenues and. Um, yeah focus on them as a business not not only on the cash flows that's that's the ideal answer because i think that's something that a lot of um C, you know new ceos especially don't realize is you are always technically fundraising like you, you've got to always have your ear to the ground you know always um you know find those new relationship opportunities and and, and things like that because of it will come around again quickly you know, like yeah. a 18 month runway, for example, is like the typical sort of starting runway. That isn't a very long time. Like that goes quick, no. <laughs> you know, and the next thing you know, it's like, oh, shit, next month I've got to start raising again. Um, so it's a very good, a good mindset to have that. Yeah, while it, it's it's on the to do list, it's just it's just changing levels of priority. Right. Because everything yes. is a priority <laughs> at the beginning. Everything, especially. yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%, completely right. But yes, uh, fundraising is, always takes a bit more time than usual for, for founders. Um, mm. That's what I, I... I like fundraising. I'm one of the founders that you asked me, like, what is your favorite part of being a founder? It's not going to be fundraising, but I do like it. I, I like to talk yeah. to investors. I think I get a lot of growth from my chats with them and... Everybody has something to 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 show me, and I I like to learn about from them and their experiences. So, 
fundraising is not always about raising money. It's also about meeting new customers or maybe they have a portfolio mm -hmm. company that might be interesting for our B2B channel. So I always tend to get something out of it in the end. Yeah, it's never wrong to speak to people, basically, right? That's that's exactly. the lesson that I've learned over the years. And um, yeah, you just never know what might come from it. I, I remember um, speaking with uh, uh, Ewan um, of uh, Barback, the CEO of Barback, and um, mm -hmm. he uh, he said something on the podcast which was really interesting when he, when I asked at the end, like you know, what tips you would give to founders, which I will be asking you later as well. Um, he one of the things he said is give everyone their five minutes. Which I thought was a really interesting take. Like he said that the reason why he he suggests that is because in his life, you know, in his career, he's he's come across some of the best investors and best deals have been like just meeting people on the train or like in a bar and like you know just giving people five minutes of his time has opened up huge opportunities. I think that's a really good you know piece of advice. And I think it's good in life, whether you're a CEO or not. Just give everyone five minutes of your time like if someone's you know just like strikes up a conversation with you just don't be like yeah okay mate yeah cheers like just play yeah man how about you, you know how are you how are you how's your day why not you know what's the worst exactly. that can happen? you know exactly so. i do completely agree with that i feel like once you're on you, you actually become an early stage founder you feel like I, I at the beginning I wanted to talk to the founders that were already fundraised and mm. that had more experience than me. And I've seen so many of them that didn't answer or were a bit rude or didn't even like acknowledge my message. Mm. And I want to do the contrary of that. I feel like I will be learning from somebody at any point, even if they have less experience than me in X things like fundraising, I mm. still think I can get something out of that conversation. So um, I think founders should speak to founders oh, 100%. all the time. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be that you're right that there seems to be like there's this weird class system in yes. founders that isn't talked about, which is based depending on the level of your funding. So like if suddenly you've become funded, then now you're in an elite group of founders yeah. that are funded that just stick together. And it's like, screw you guys, I'm no longer one of you, I'm now one of them. Like I'm welcome to the club, you know. And then even within that, there's different levels. There's like levels of how much you've been funded, like you know, what stage your company's in. And and then of course there's that big one, you know, I, you know, going uh, going public and and they don't, you know, well actually, funnily enough, it seems to be the opposite. It seems to be like by the time they get to that stage, they realize all of that was bullshit and they just have to yes. share like and they're like what did i waste my energy being a dickhead for i could have just spoken to anyone like you know. exactly 100 100 i've seen that i've actually mm. felt that um so yeah it's it's of course when you look at the class system in startups is vcs on top which i don't understand because it should yeah. be the other way around because we startups actually make vcs give vcs a job because yeah. without startups there wouldn't be any vcs um and then, of course, the class of startups, which I think it's bullshit because what, what happens in startups is we all want to have non-hierarchical teams and be super flat organizations. And then when we look at each other and we talk to each other, it feels like there's always these classes. Mm. Um, but I mean, um, it is the startup world and we are in it and yeah. let's try and change that. Yeah, and, it, and it's also, I suppose, maybe some of it comes down to this idea that um, the way that you need to work as a founder or a CEO changes quite significantly depending on your the stage of your company, right? Like I think we even talked about this before about how you know once once 
there's more stakes, well, you need your role changes quite significantly and you have to communicate to your team about that. We, yeah, we definitely spoke about this, I think, didn't we? About, yes, about how, we how, how, you know, suddenly you now need to, um, you need to set up boundaries with your team. Like, whereas before you could be available for everyone and everything, a quite close-knit team, you ideally want to keep that. But in real, realistic terms, you can't. You now have, you know, a huge amount of pressure. You've got a lot of responsibilities financially to a lot of different people who are expecting results. And they rely on you too, your team. So you need to start setting up boundaries of communication, um, you know, actually asking for, for certain topics or for certain subjects for, for that to go through your management team and to only pick up on things that, you know, that are priority. And it's difficult because you don't want to upset people, but it's difficult. And I suppose that that works outwardly as well to other founders, you know, that, that it's like, look, man, yeah. I would love to give sit down and give you some founder advice. But if I said that to every founder that came to me, I wouldn't be able to actually just do my job, which is very yeah. demanding, you know? So I guess it swings and roundabouts, right? I kind of understand it and I, you know, I kind of don't. Um, but having said That's that, I've, re I've reached out to some, some very well-respected, very successful founders who are clearly very, very busy individuals. And I've said, hey, would I like to, you know, would you mind if I pick your brain for five minutes? And they're like, yeah, have half an hour. So like, you know, it depends. Yeah, it depends <laughs> on, on their mindset as well. But yeah, yeah, it's true. I, But I remember, yeah, we spoke about this and the balance that we I used to have at the beginning and what I'm doing now, it's completely different. And yeah. it is like, Everybody talks about like teenage years and how you change, but nobody talks when you're a founder or when you're in you know, your twenties and you start working, how big of a change that is. So mm. I think we should start talking about how big a change is when you raise money from pre-seed until series A, like how mm. your job changes completely. And nobody talks about it. No. Nobody gives you a little warning like, hey, you know your your job at the beginning is to be super creative, innovation, everything comes uh, around just creating new products. Now, mm. my job is just to look at Excel files, uh, account management, <laughs> investor relationships. I feel like I'm in meetings all day long. Mm. Um, so that is a huge change that some yeah. people maybe they do not want this in their lives. Maybe they want to keep it always at pre-seed stage, which is impossible because if you're building a business, you cannot stay at pre-seed stage all of your business uh, mm. life. But um, it's definitely, a, for me, it was a struggle. It was, it was seeing my job change and my priorities change. And I missed those early days where I mm. could create and be part of the innovation process. Um, but yeah, I feel like it, it should be more spoken about. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But nost nostalgia is a dangerous thing, right? And, and yes. you know, it's all, the, the times were always better before. And, and, and it's, you know, like we spoke about before, I think what's missing is this idea of preparing your team. But, you know, like you said, if the founders aren't even aware that these changes are coming, it's very difficult to prepare your team. But you have to be, I think, all very transparent about it. Like, guys, things are going to, you know, these are the good times. Let's enjoy them. But let's yes. be serious about this. This will change. Like, and you need to be ready for that and, you know, preparing everyone for it so it's not a culture shock. But um, I, I'm, I think one of the biggest lies in the startup ecosystem is this, um, this lie about um, the fact that the vast majority of startups fail. That's not true. Um, the harsh reality is the vast majority of startup founders give up. That's yeah. actually what happens because, because, you know, what you've just described there is a huge culture shock and it's a huge shock professionally. And, you know, you can go into it, fall in love with the buzz, uh, and then it's ripped away from you. And then suddenly you've got an office job 
and you're like i didn't sign up for this shit like <laughs> you know, and i've got bosses now like you know i've got yep. like these five ten twenty thirty bosses that i owe millions of pounds to and i exactly. have to answer to like what the fuck is this and of course the pressure is a lot um, yes and sometimes it's people who have never held an actual job with responsibility before you know what i mean and Me? it's like right exactly so like sometimes there's people who've never even had management positions before you know quite i've never had my, my co-founder never had a job before this wow yeah so there you go her first job in her life is her being a manager mm. so imagine how many shocks we had i think but that actually i think it pays a bit to our advantage because it could we yeah are... it could be a strength too because you, it exactly. could mean you're not bringing bad habits to, to things or exactly equally. yeah we're just learning from others that are doing really great stuff mm. but at the same time i think we are a bit more relaxed so when something bad happens when we are stressed we just take everything with a pinch of humor i think yeah. that was the best things in the beginning like we call each other and we laugh about it we're like yeah who would have said that two years ago we would have this problem now yeah. um and i think humor it's really really important and when i see of course it's it's hard it's a hard job to have yeah. every day it's hard and you don't know what to expect for next day and i'm a very ocd person so i do like organization i need to organize my days by the minute mm that I bring that home as well. I organize my house by the minute as well. So me being in a startup, it's actually shocking because every day is different and you cannot really organize your, your weeks or your months uh, by, by the minute. So mm. that was a huge shock for me at the beginning. So taking this with a pinch of humor was key for me not going crazy and saying, I dropped this. I don't want this anymore. I've yeah. never said it. And hopefully, I hope I will never, I never will. And my co-founder is the same. I've never mm. heard her say, what if we drop this? Never, ever, ever. Because mm. um, we are in it and we know people depend on us, investors depend on us, and now we are inside. We need to see it through. Yeah, 100%. D don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's a good good, good, uh, good response to that sometimes. Just, yes. just try and enjoy it and remember why you're doing it. Like, and, and exactly. And quite often you can forget. And for the same reason why people, I think, get disillusioned with their jobs in general, it's like, They've 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 forgotten the purpose of why they're there, which is to make money. Quite often, exactly. like you know, um, and and so they and they focus on different things like the drama of the office or the fact that they yeah. didn't get that promotion or the fact that so and so is getting paid more than them, even though they think they do less. And it's like, dude, just go in, make your money, go home. It's like you know, you've got a good yeah. job. You know, be happy. Perspective is is you know, there are other people out there who would kill for your job, like. You know, there, there's sometimes there's a bit of perspective that needs to be had in, in situations. And yeah, not taking yourself too seriously is, I think, a good start. To that I definitely don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> Mate, it's, it's, no one, it's great. No one else takes me seriously either, though. That's the only problem. <laughs> but, oh, I'm sure that's not true. But, um, but the good thing is true. I don't give a shit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Also, also take things less to, to the heart. I think yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I used to be, everything was used to be super personal at the beginning. Right. Um, literally every part of the business the investor saying no i felt it personally uh the mm. app not running well i felt it personally customers complaining it was personal now i'm like okay my life is not my company i do love what i'm doing and i love what I, uh, what we are achieving but if something is not going well i'm not gonna physically put all my body and my sweat into it 
let's figure it out. We are a team. We can do things really well. Mm. We will figure it out, but they not take things personal because it's not, it's never personal at this stage. No. It's, it's about the company and how it's going and taking the right decisions. And I think that's really, really important to, mm. to realize once you're a founder and you have a really bad moment, it's like, it's not personal. And my well, co-founder actually... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Your co-founder. Uh, my co-founder actually laughs and she's like, uh, what if we have a real job or not a real job, because this is a job as well, but like a nine to six job, uh, what would happen? I was like, I think we would be really unhappy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because that's that's one of the most common things I, I, I've found with people who have ended up exiting um, their company. They, they have exited actually a little earlier than they were expecting <laughs> because mm -hmm. the business, you know, goes series A, series B, whatever. And they find that basically they're doing a nine to five and they're just like, this is fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. And and they've got such a great team. Everything's running really well. It's well funded. Like the business is making money. It's like, well, yeah. I don't have anything to fucking do now. Like, you know, I exactly. it's not CEOs who, yeah, I was going to CEOs who are literally just like, I literally don't do anything all day. I don't know why I'm here. Like, <laughs> I have know. heard about that. Yeah. And uh, another friend that I spoke to from Spain, um, he sold his company a couple of years ago uh for uh, a quite good quantity of money so quite successful exit and he was like they kept me there for not doing anything i wasn't doing anything i was just yeah. there to be there like yeah. I, I could go home and nobody would realize yeah go to and board meetings every now and then exactly. write a couple of emails that's it like yeah just and sign some stuff. Yeah. i don't want that i want to be part of the of what's going on and i don't know it sounds quite good to me <laughs> depends on the day depends yeah yeah on the day. i'm getting older man like it sounds good to me like <laughs> by 45 something like that if i had a job like that i'd be pretty happy you know but i have a theory that that's why um quite often when you hear about new ceos coming in so like you know especially when um the, you know the original ceo exits and then another ceo comes in usually externally um you hear about them fucking everything up i have a theory this is because they come in they realize there's nothing to do and they feel like they need to find something to do. So they dismantle everything, right? It's just like, well, let's just let's just see what happens if I pull this apart. And like, you know what I mean? And, and they do that and then it all goes wrong. And then they can yes. go, oh, well, well, this needs fixing now. I've got something to do. And then and then yes. they go ahead and they fix it. It's uh it's this idea <laughs> I like that they that need. Theory. Yeah, yeah, it's uh you, you see it a lot. <laughs> yeah. You definitely um, see a lot of uh like really really bad stories about new people coming into a business and yes that could be one theory that is actually right yeah well i've seen it firsthand you know especially doing change change cons uh, management consultancy work you know a lot of a lot of um companies i've gone into have been very dubious about hiring another consultant because they've been burnt in the past and one of the main reasons seems to be because they go in and they actively and i've even been told this by some consultants they actively go in to dismantle things and disrupt things so that they have a reason for being there because quite often they'll go in and everything is working fairly well and it's really just the case of fine tuning and yeah. in my in my um you know career i've gone into organizations who've wanted to make things leaner or improve certain outcomes and quite often things are going really well and i'm like to be honest you don't really need me yeah. like here's a little you know some little things i observed maybe to watch out for but really you know you don't need me and i'm missing out on a huge payday but yes. it's like, 
you know, whereas other consultants would go in and just be like, oh, let's fucking rip this apart and see, you know, see what happens kind of thing. You know, you hear about I mean, it all the time and they want to have the continuous yeah. contract too. So, exactly. so they never actually want to fix the problem. It's got to always be a problem. You know, it's like speaking yeah. to a cowboy mechanic. They're always going to find something wrong with your car. You know, it's. Uh, That's 100% true. Yeah. It's like yeah. when you go to the doctor, there's always like some vitamin missing or, but you, you're feeling totally fine. But then they find like these little things that you need to go to the pharmacy, buy yeah. them uh, the, the, the little drug or, or vitamin or whatever and take it for one year and then go back to the doctor. And it's a never ending cycle. Well, it's a situational bias, isn't it? Because of the, the, the situation is you've been asked to find something wrong. So because yes. that you're going to find something wrong. It's like um, my, my, my wife, um, before she went on maternity leave, works in the NHS with, with young children. And, um, you know, she talks a lot about the over diagnosis of things like ADHD and, okay. and, you know, things like that. And again, it's like one of those things that, well, it's because so many parents are going to, to the specialists whose job it is to diagnose people with ADHD. Well, they're going to find it because their li their literal scenario is i think my son has adhd your job is to detect adhd well guess what they find adhd <laughs> like because you're put, you're you're looking at it at everything through the perspective of every behavior is linked to adhd you know um it's 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 really it's yeah it's a it's a situational bias so it's a similar kind of thing isn't it if you're going to look for a problem yes. you'll always find one Exactly, but that happens with startups as well. I, I get yeah. harassed uh, and I get messaged every day by people who are like, your website is not nice. Your uh, Instagram yeah. lacks, uh, and we can help you, which is really nice. And I'm sure they could, but maybe at this stage, this is not my priority or I don't have the budget for it. So yeah. it's true that I wish I could answer to uh, every email, but at the one point, I just can't. Yeah, and, so and, just, and, and a lot yeah. of these are spam bullshit emails. So like, <laughs> I, I get them all the time too. It's like, you know, we could we can see how to improve your website. It's okay, but it could be better. And it's like, fuck off. That's yes. not a good way to start a relationship. Like, what are you talking about? Exactly, like, you're insulting me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it may not be perfect. Nothing's perfect, but that's not a good way to, to start an interaction. Like, I have never done that in my career, like of going to a business and being like, hey, I like your business, but it's a bit shit. Maybe you need to hire me. Like. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, that's not like that's not. Nobody all, will that's... hire you at the end because yeah, exactly. No. What if I'm not looking for what you're asking? Like yeah, every, every like, person has different priorities. Exactly. I used to do my first ever consulting gigs were in hospitality and catering, so I used to do um, a lot of work in restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a little different there. You had to to get work at some point. I, a lot of my work was through word of mouth, but eventually I started doing uh, independent um, restaurant reviews. So I would go to a restaurant, um, I would eat in the restaurant and experience it. And then I would write a sort of report based on what I saw, but it was mostly positive, like because I learned very early on I did, I did try doing the sort of like, you know, this person didn't do that very well. There's clearly a need for training here. You know, da, 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 da. I tried that approach of just saying everything I saw that was bad and then saying, you should hire me and I can fix it. It never worked because obviously yeah. people's defenses automatically go up. You're insulting them. You're, you're telling them they're doing a bad job. So I changed it. And 90% of the stuff I reviewed was positive with just a couple of things that I noticed, even if it wasn't the case and I saw a lot worse. And I was like, I could help with these things and these things are really important because they link to these things, which li links exactly. to more money. And so you have to paint the picture and also just 
you know put it on a on a uh what's the word a palatable you know plate yeah. otherwise it's just people are going to spit it out right to to yeah, to end the food. Exactly. Like, exactly. The, you know. People don't don't like for you to tell them that they are what they are doing is wrong. Mm. And I think that will that will be the case. That was the case one hundred years ago, and that will be the case one hundred years from now. So I, yeah. I think everybody, even if I said before, yeah, don't take things personal. It always feels a bit personal, even if you don't want it to feel personal. So I yeah. I, I completely agree. You cannot. That comes with experience too. It comes with exactly. experience, you know, and, and so so with, with that, actually, that's an interesting thing. So you were saying about, you know, how you, you neither you or your co, uh, your co-founder have had that, that sort of experience. And, and it could be an advantage, could be a disadvantage. But I, wh where do you see it's been a disadvantage? Like, have you have you had to learn some pretty expensive lessons, do you think, as a result of that? Or uh, Yes, we did. We did mistakes. We, yeah. we of course, we have done mistakes in the past, uh, mostly at the beginning. Yeah. Because you literally, we were a blank piece of paper in terms of startup world, in terms of investment. We had no network. Um, both of us, kind of, we, we met each other in Brussels uh, around 15 years ago. And oh, our cool. parents were both expats in the public sector. So very, 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 very different like backgrounds from what we are doing now, uh, working in private sector with our own company. So entrepreneurship was kind of never an option right. for us until we actually got the idea for Zim. And we entered a whole new world. It was literally like opening like a whole new planet for us. Mm. So yes, we, we did mistakes. Uh, mostly at the beginning with investors. Uh, we didn't know how to talk to investors. We didn't know how to communicate our idea. We had to go through an acceleration program and then, of course, also an incubation program to learn those skills that we lacked um, and also the network. Because mm. when you, even if you work for two, three years, you kind of have people around you that will know other people that will be able to help with your business. We didn't have that. All of our friends and network, they were the same age as us with the same experience as us. Yeah. And our parents didn't have connections in the private sector. Um, so that was definitely a challenge. Like, how mm. do we build this network? How do we approach people? And I think uh, we had to learn a lot uh, about that and how to manage those relationships. Because it's easy to contact people on LinkedIn, but how to keep those relationships open and going? And it requires yeah. a lot of effort um mistakes with it yes of course management uh mistakes as well how to manage the team how to be able to create a nice culture um we had to learn from those mistakes and mm. it's good that we did them because we wouldn't be here if we haven't but uh definitely now if we would start again what we did in one year we could do in three months yeah yeah i mean this is essentially why i have a job is 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 to is to help people like you know solve those problems before they occur, you know, which has always been a bit of a catch twenty two because if um if you if you make them help people avoid mistakes, they wonder were there any mistakes to begin with, you know. Exactly. So, um. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. So, how did you you said you you and your co-founder met in Brussels? So, what were the situation the, the circumstances surrounding that? What were you both doing at the time? Were you both studying? Were you? Uh, what What was the situation? So we were actually in school in high school so mm. um 
she actually was born in uh, Brussels. Oh, so right. her parents uh, were expats there. And then my parents moved from Spain to, uh, to Brussels as well. And we went to the same school. So we went mm -hmm. to European school, very, very international. I think that, that was that was a really, really great experience because I don't know if you've heard about European schools, but it's kind of everybody has like, uh, everybody from Europe has their own section, like German, uh, Dutch, English. Uh, I was in the Spanish section, but and everybody kind of ends mixing up. So you learn so much about different mm -hmm. cultures. You you become super open-minded and that helped a lot with the business as well to understand why people were acting different than us in the business uh, world. And we understand kind of, hey, yes, different cultures, yeah. different ways of doing business. And that got us to some really, really great places. Yeah, understanding different people is a huge advantage. I, um, I've i been very fortunate in my life that as a kid growing up, um, uh, I grew up in Oxford, uh, which is mm -hmm. you know, an international hub yes. and uh, for students especially. And um, and in our house, we were very fortunate when I was younger, but before my parents divorced, we lived in quite a large house with lots of different rooms. Um, and, uh, uh, and we always had at least three or four um, foreign students in our house. Oh, nice. As, as lodgers. So, um, yeah, who were attending the, uh, one of the, the local uh, international schools of English. And so growing That's up, amazing. the dinner table was always full of people from all around the world, different skin colors, different religious backgrounds, different cultures. And, you know, they would help, you know, they would cook sometimes. So we would get different food from all around the world. Like it's, I'm so fortunate that that is my That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And, and now it's really, really fortunate, as you say. Yeah, it really is. Like I, I, I felt like I was basically growing up in, in an international school, like yes. basically, you know, and, and I'm so, so fortunate for that. And then my, the fact that my, my mother, my mother's French, my dad's Irish, like, okay. so, so, you know, like, it, you know, English people were, I, I was, you know, a bit confused as to what an, uh, just a normal English person was for a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> you know, I love um, that. Yeah, but it, it was, yeah, the best thing. And, and so right now, similar to you, you put me in a room, it doesn't matter where people are from. I, exactly. Know, it's just, it's just fast. I'm, I'm interested in everyone and their story, which is why I do this, I think. I yes. think that's tied together. This is my favorite thing that I do because it's just talking to people, which is what I grew yes. up doing. And you know, engaging and exchanging ideas and disagreeing with people and respectfully and you know all and, yes. and all that kind of stuff. Like it's it's yeah. So I, I I think that's incredible that you had that experience too. It's incredibly valuable and a, a huge skill that I think is massively underappreciated as well. Yes. Because yes, now your your investors know you. They can put you anywhere. <laughs> and exactly. You're, and you're you're exactly. going to become best friends with people. You know, and that's that's really important. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe, like, and share your thoughts in the comments. Yeah. Exactly. And also in terms of the team that we are building. So we right. are a startup in a market that is, it's, we, we are using a very innovative technology. There is no like experts in eSIM right now in the market mm. that have been working on it for 25 years because the technology is new. Right. So the good thing about that, so there's good and bad. The good thing about it is that we can hire very junior people. Maybe they don't even have to have studies they just need to be completely motivated to learn a new right. skills and also to uh, grow a company, have that startup mindset. And I think that was really, really important for us since the beginning. It's like, maybe you don't have this, all the skills needed now, but we're sure you're going to have all the skills needed in six months. So mm. come with us, join our journey, and we will all learn together. And 
that's what I love most about my team is how diverse we are, how different uh, we are from each other and how we can com kind of complement each other. Mm. Of course, the bad thing about being in such a new, uh, using such a new technology is that we don't have, uh, we, we always have to fail to learn. Um, right. So we right. need to make errors, which takes a bit more time, but we definitely um, are getting there. Mm. That's good. And I suppose it also directly ties into the, your customer base, right? The people that you're actually trying to serve, which are international individuals, you know, people yes. around the world and trying to solve an international problem. So, um, yes. which is interesting too, because that's not typically a model that, you know, startups go for, right? You, you typically look for solving a problem in one particular geography um, and having your products used in one particular geography before looking at others. Whereas you, for yours, that, that just doesn't make sense. That's not, yes. that's not part of it, right? So how, how do you address that in kind of, you know, not only the the, the business model uh, and and sort of the go to market approach, but also even just communicating that into to investors to make sure that they don't get too scared by it. So at the beginning, in order to not get investors scared, we were like, yeah, okay, we're gonna open up the app in the UK, in Spain, and uh, in the US. That's mm -hmm. it. We're gonna only have ESM plans in those uh, three destinations, and then we we talked to. An, uh, an individual that is now part of a fund that invested in us. He's very young. He had had. Uh, he has his own company. Very very successful uh, guy. And we talked to him in a very like informal moment. We were having drinks uh, with the fund, and he was like, "If you go international, that's what's going to make you successful." And mm -hmm. we're like, "What? That's not going to scare you all?" And he was like, "No, go international." launch the app because we already have the capabilities to launch the app in over 120 destinations right. we we're just afraid of how the market was going to react to that mm. and he was like with one phrase of somebody that knows the market and kind of understands what we are doing we were like okay so our, our idea to launch globally was actually a good idea we were just trying to make it work for investors yeah Make that's it more when we realized, them, yeah. exactly stop making things work for investors make things work for yourself because you are the one that builds the company it's your gut feeling that mm. they invested in follow that so we decided to launch the app into 120 destinations since day one and that helped us because we could reach more communities we, we could reach digital nomad communities international students that are traveling abroad and we do have destinations that nobody purchases uh, in from, but we still have that peace of mind from the consumer that if they come to us, they will find any anywhere where they're going, they will find an ESM plan, mm, even yeah. if it's the most remote places on earth. So that's how we kind of put it in terms of go to market. We do still target UK, Spain, and US as our marketing effort. Of course, yeah. But we still we do use digital nomad communities and international students and uh, literally people that are traveling nonstop as a way of word of mouth. And we do have clients coming from uh, Latin America. We do have clients coming from Asia. Um, so yeah, it was it was a hard decision to make, but it was obvious because we had mm. the capabilities. Why why not use all the resources that we had? Yeah, did they did they give you more money as a result of that as well? They say, no. say we, can go, we can go international, Safe. but we need more money. No? <laughs> Bastards. No, well, yes. never mind. <laughs> They're going to have to next time, though, right? <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. but I mean, it was a good decision, and we're very yeah. happy with it, and I wouldn't do it the other way. Yeah, yeah. And it makes complete sense, because like you said, you know, now your users are, uh, you know, can be reassured that they uh, can use your platform not just in one 
location or or a very limited amount of locations they can travel and they always have access to it which is basically the point right you're, you know that you're solving yeah. that problem for them so so that's and good. also when you think about it churn imagine yeah. you greg you're traveling to to the us tomorrow and if we only had us uk and spain you would download the app but then you you would automatically delete it after you you end up your trip which yeah. now if they know that we have so many destinations they will think oh in i'm going to thailand in six months right. let's leave the app there on the background and i'll come back to it so exactly. yes it, it, it improves business as well and uh, sales yeah yeah because even if the, the intention is to come back to it you know when you have that country launched i mean in terms of your data set it's still going to be considered a churn right exactly so, so it's just yeah it skews it skews that um data set pretty badly yeah exactly well um yeah great great decision and I'm, I'm glad to hear about it um did you did you um did you find that uh that, that things become a lot easier with um pitching to investors since we met as well because of the advice they gave you outside of that venue <laughs> i love the <laughs> advice you gave me and it was really good advice because yeah we have two options, right? To all to pitch investors, we have the VCs that are very like number focused. So yeah. I think I'm pretty good at that because I'm more analytical. And then we have the angels, where my co-founder she likes that emotional side of pitching, yeah. and I love how she, she pitches to angel investors. I feel like she connects with the audience really, really well. Um, but yeah, the advice you gave me is that it was true. There were not many VCs in that room. There were mostly angels. So I needed to kind of say what was happening, but also add an emo emotional touch. But yeah, definitely yeah. that helped a lot. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just good selling techniques, essentially. If, if anyone listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, we, I'll just give it a bit of a brief context. We met in front of the venue of a networking event a few months ago, and I, I, I was uh, vaping and you and your <laughs> co-founder were practicing your pitch before you went on stage. And, uh, and I just simply gave a bit of advice about sort of narrative, adding a narrative to it. So the story leading up to why you decided to create the company and just double down on that a bit. And I, and, and the reason why, you know, I suggest that is, is I actually suggest it um, for, for any kind of sales interaction of which it is yes. basically, right? It's a pitch. So um, because of, you know, people, people love a story, right? That's how yes. we connect with individuals. You know, I remember reading a very famous book by Terry, Terry Pratchett that talked about how the Homo sapiens should have actually been called Pan Naran, which is um, which is Latin for storytelling ape, because that's okay. yeah, because essentially that is what we are as creatures. We have evolved by telling stories of one another, passing on information, and that's how we do it. You, you're more likely to remember something if it's in story format yes. than if it's just you know cold you know dead uh, data. You know, kind of yeah, exactly. So you know, I even say suggest to people to do it in front of investors too, if it feels like the right moment, because sometimes you know you can get into situations where um, it can be refreshing for them, right? Yeah. Because they, they they're so used to PowerPoints and you know and Excel spreadsheets that just actually starting it with a bit more of that story can like be engaging, and then you can get into all that stuff that they need. But like just yeah, it's just memorable, and that's the, the thing you need to stand out because they yes. pitch so much. Um, and it's the same if you're selling, you know, to people or whatever. It's just, you know, people are, are used to being sold to. They're not used to being told a story. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it's the same as I am reading uh, now several business books. And I feel like some of them are so heavy just because of so much information. Mm -hmm. But then I'm reading others that are much less heavy because, but there is the same amount of information just because of the story. Like, yeah. 
this happened to me or this happened to this person, you relate to personal stories. You don't relate to, oh, uh, this company made X revenue by doing this because yeah. it doesn't feel personal. It doesn't feel nice. It doesn't flow in your head. You, you always end up losing it in your brain. The yeah, same as school. Like, how can you learn like 100 new song lyrics in your head, but you cannot learn three bullet points from biology? Right. Because you're not interested. It's not There's a story. There's no emotional it's attachment there. there. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, the, the brain works in that way, literally, from a biological level. That it, you know, it's more likely to retain information that's assigned with a, like a chemical response. So if it, um, if yeah. it, unless it's an emotional response, it releases chemicals, then it's going to remember that experience, which is why we get traumatized or why we exactly. fall in love and that, all those kinds of things, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's, it's a good example of that as well. It's like if I ask founders, what is their favorite movies or documentaries about um, entrepreneurship? Like I could ask you right now. Actually, yeah, I'll ask you first before I explain why. So what are your favorite movies or documentaries about entrepreneurship, startups, things like that? or even TV series, anything like that? So there's something that I say. Uh, so just a bit of explanation before I tell you. There's yeah, something yeah. I say sometimes as a joke to my co-founders. So, okay, this is 100% a joke. Well, a joke is not always 100% a joke. But <laughs> 99.9%. Exactly. It's like, I understand why founders of really, really successful companies became assholes at the end. Yeah. I Season. do understand it because... There's so many things that piss you off mm-hmm. that you end up bitter. Mm-hmm. So that's why humor is a good one. But yeah, that's why I, I tell Jules um, that all the time as a joke. And that's why I love the TV shows. I really, really like The Founder, right. uh, the movie. I don't remember how it's called now, but um, the Uber founder, um, which is a TV show. Right. Okay. I haven't heard of that. Let me check. Because I, I just saw, I actually saw it last time my co-founder was over in London. Super pumped. Oh, okay. Not heard of that. Super pumped. It's really nice. Yeah. 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 And the founder of the movie you're talking about is uh, the one with Michael Keaton about the McDonald's story. McDonald's. Yeah, and I really also like the dropout. I think that's yeah. a, a story that we should all know to not repeat. Yeah, it's a um, it's, a, it's a, a warning story, but a very, very, very interesting story. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah. So let me explain then what I was. <laughs> so whenever I ask people that question, they never name any documentaries. Okay. But the question was, can you get, get you know tell me any movies, TV shows, or documentaries that you know you found. But again, it's because they're not memorable. You've probably seen quite a lot of documentaries or you may have looked at them and gone, that looks fucking boring, right? But, you know, it's not memorable. You're not going to remember it, but you definitely remember the performance of Michael Keaton and how he screwed over those people, especially, you know, when it's more on the negative uh, side of things, right? Because of, like you said, the dropout is, you know, quite a negative story of someone doing things badly. You know, the founder is a story about someone screwing over the original creators of McDonald's to build an empire. Like, I don't know. Uber, it's, you'll see. I'm not going to spoil you. I'll check it out. But it was a similar kind of thing, I assume, right? So. So, yeah, and it's interesting that these stories stick with us. Like, a good example of that for the world of sales is The Wolf of Wall Street. People always talk about that movie, right, as, like, their favorite movie, even though they're salespeople. And it's like, yeah, but you would never do those kinds of things. But it's memorable. And, they, you know, and and obviously we all have a bias towards negative behavior anyway. So 100%. So yeah, I just always find that super interesting. So so narrative is important. It gives everything meaning, you know. 
Yes. Yes, I, I think that we we are trying to do the same for the business to create kind of a brand that narrates to its uh, yeah. customers. We're not going to be like, hey, we offer eSIM plans for five pounds. No, we want to say, hey, we offer eSIM plans because you need to text your mom while you're abroad. Yeah, yeah. And and that's essentially what a brand is, right? Which I think yes. people forget about is a brand isn't just like um, changing your logo to the rainbow flag every time it's Pride Month. Your brand yeah. is is your story. And that's what connects with people. And everything you do, if it facilitates that story and exp expresses that story, people can then have that emotional connection with a company. That's why people have emotional connections with things like Tesla, with things like uh, Uber or, you know, Just yeah. Eat or whatever. People actually have certain connections with companies beyond just the fact yeah. that they, they're useful, you know. Exactly. They, they buy into the emotion of it. So I was reading in a book that uh, the founder of the Dermatologica, which is a skincare brand, mm. uh, she was saying that um, you, the worst thing in business is being neutral. Like right. you want people to hate you a bit and you want people to love you, but you mm. don't want people to just think, yeah, it's okay. I, yeah. I don't care. Because like not giving a crap about your brand is what is going to make you lose customers and ruin your business. So you always need to have a passion and emotion, create something in the customer, not mm. just leave them indifferent saying, okay, yeah, I use this. I'm not going to care anymore. That's a really good point. And, and it's interesting because if you see a lot of companies, big companies make, you know, controversial decisions in their marketing or things like that. And, you know, I think some of us know it's intentional. Like, yes. like you said, negative attention, you know, any press is good press, right? Like there's no such thing as bad press. And so, you know, when Nike or a clothes brand releases an image of like, you know, an overweight woman of color, like, and, you know, then it gets backlash, you know, who's a model and like, you know, all this kind of stuff that they do to kind of tap into people's sensitivities about political topics and racial topics and all that. It's like, this is purely fucking intentional. Like they don't care about any of this stuff. They just know that if they do it, it gives them attention, you know? Yeah, which is which is absolutely bullshit. Um, yeah. I, the first example that popped into my mind was what Balenciaga did as well. It's it's absolutely crazy. I mean, everybody thinks, that? oh, what they did... So they did Im images that was related to some sects and cults and oh. uh, child abuse. Yes, it was it was really, really, really bad. But what happened? every famous person in this planet talked about them because many right. many people actually bought from them did that drop sales maybe but that held more attention hmm. and attention is the most important thing a human being can give you as a brand right because yeah. yeah. without attention you are nothing so it feels like we are always being manipulated somehow oh yeah 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 uh, social media creators are really and influencers are a really good example of this because yes. the vast majority of them do controversial things um yeah. in order to get attention like that's that's basically yeah. it like they're attention whores and they know that they need to continuously do something in order to get attention and it's usually something negative because they know that gets that works better than doing something positive you know like yeah. it's it's far easier to to get attention for kicking a homeless person on on TikTok than it is for giving them money on TikTok. Like everyone's exactly. just gonna be like, well, you've got you should be nice to people. So yeah, well that's not anything you know new. <laughs> uh, yeah, but people have a lot of hate, um, and the internet is the perfect example. Like yeah, how 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 did we used to hate before the internet? We would just hate our neighbors. Like, yes, exactly. And now <laughs> yeah, the thing is, yeah. you can hate everyone, and yeah. you can be anonymous, hate people. <laughs> 
which is amazing because people have so much hate inside they can just yep. release it and it's horrible because you, everybody has something to say about everything that's why I'm not very, very uh, active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, I'm being more active on LinkedIn, but it's so much hate and I don't understand it. Like, why do you care if this famous person did this? Why? What's your problem? It's a lack of I purpose. Mean, That's my theory. People, people are, okay. there's, a, there's an epidemic of lack of purpose in people's lives across the world. And so when there's a lack of purpose, the, um, the, the, it, creates, it creates a hostile environment inside your mind. You know, you're angry at the world for not having a purpose because you believe it's the world's fault. When the world doesn't owe you anything, it's up to you to give yourself purpose. So you're just going to shout and scream at everything that you think uh, uh, annoys you. Yeah. And some people make make hate their purpose too, which is a it's yeah. a which is a, a complete lunacy. But to your point about um, to not go too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, to, to your point about you know a company um, uh, having something basically like a personality, like I think is really important and you know yeah you're right there's so many companies that play it safe like i'm having this this debate internally with my own company now that's just come out of stealth where you know the early on i, I don't think it matters too much you just need to get it out there and there's so many more important things but definitely as things progress i know i'm going to need to start thinking about the brand identity and if it has personality and and things like that and i always look to a great company online um a, a great example of this uh called lavender um okay. I don't know if you've heard of them look them up on TikTok. No. every single one of their employees including the ceo right from the beginning has always had a very prominent um personality you know in the way that they post in the kind of content they put out there like for me that's a prime example of not just getting a logo that's boring or a branding that's boring like do you know what i mean and it's like oh, yeah. have, have fun like do some stuff and um there's then we need more of that because so it's so easy to get the stock images and put them on your website you know, and, and just, you know, go with safe colors and uh, and all of that sort of thing. Just like go for it. Like, who cares? Enjoy yeah. yourself, you know? Exactly. Like said, don't take company. yourself too seriously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's such such a good example. I was reading in a book lately that, uh, yes, you need to be bold. You need to be you need to do stuff that you love because it's your company like and it's the early stage so i think what we have been doing so far with zim is also we played it a bit safe and now i today literally i just had an interview with uh, our brand specialist and she's interviewing everybody in the company to understand like where do, where do we want the brand to go and we need to be all aligned on that and yeah we want to be more bold we want to be more adventurous and i believe we will achieve that in the next couple of months um we want to be like a brand that people relate to not not just yeah okay uh, like a logo and a couple of images on instagram yeah. i will definitely check out lavender and check out their employees they okay. so they they hired a few months ago two very well-known sales influencers as their main sales okay. leads um, which was, I thought, a very clever move as well on their part, that they didn't just hire any anyone. They went for the the two most prominent salespeople online on LinkedIn and okay. TikTok and stuff. They're like, they're like sales influencers. And, okay. the, and the content they create is funny, it's engaging, it's it's brilliant. So yeah, I can't recommend them enough. They're really, really good for that sort of stuff. And have a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check them out. Yeah, that's uh that's my recommendation. But um yeah, that's an interesting process though. Like how 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 did that come about? Like, so you know, you, you want to speak to everyone, right? But but this is always the, the the big sort of thing, isn't it? It's like, does everyone really have an equal voice in a business? Um, 
we are very small still. We are nine people only. Okay, so right. I believe it's it's small enough to for everyone to have a voice. Hmm. And that's what we said with uh, with our uh, brand specialist is that it's the right moment because yeah. in a few months we're going to start growing. And the thing is, the people that have been, the nine people that we are now, we have been together for the, since the beginning. So right, okay. we kind so, of so seen so the business. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, so but you would ask, ask the guy that's been there for a week. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. definitely not, because I believe one week doesn't, or even one month doesn't showcase what we yeah. have been working for. They'll be like, years. change the company name, make the logo yeah. green with polka dots. Like, yeah, <laughs> crazy shit. Yeah. Exactly. And at some point, we were talking about changing the company name, and we're like, no, no, I just can't. It's it's the name that that started it all. So no. Yeah, yeah. I, I, why were you thinking of changing the name? I like the name too. Why? Why did that even come up? Because Zim actually started as a joke. Okay. We're like, how should we call it? Uh, Zim, Zim, and it just kind of stuck. And my friends started calling it Zim, and me and Julia started calling it Zim until we figured out a new name. And never had time to actually look for a name. Then we found names, but they were already taken. Um. So, yeah, it just became Zim, and we asked our product manager to say, "Hey, we called it Zim. Can you find kind of an explanation for this name?" And he came up with a, a sim for Generation Z. So there you go. It Very works good. out. Yeah. It works yeah. out. I, I wonder, <laughs> is there, because there are certain um, letters in the in the English alphabet that certain cult countries and you know people with certain uh, linguistic backgrounds can't pronounce. Yes. Are there any, I'm trying to think if there are any that can't pronounce the Z in Zim or, or they struggle with that. I, I don't think so. I think Zim is probably easier to pronounce yeah. than Sim, right? Yeah. So, so if anything, you've just created the international word for Sim, which is probably exactly. more difficult. So there's another reason. You I love that. It's easier yeah, to pronounce. It's like the reason 100%. why, um, what was it? There was that famous um, change. Uh, what was it? Uh, was it Jif? Yeah, Jif. That was like a cleaning brand. Um, okay. oh, and they, yeah. and they changed their, their company name to SIF because they found that international uh, people couldn't pronounce the J. Okay. So they changed really it to interesting. Yeah. So they, that could be your reason. <laughs> that, yes, exactly. And also, um, customers are starting to call an eSIM a Zim. So that's great. I'm happy with that. Like, they're like, my Zim doesn't work or my Zim is doing this. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I take it. I'll take it. That's good. It's like the new Google. You're going to end up in the dictionary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully one day. When we'll end up in the dictionary, we'll have a, a beer. Yeah. Actually, I wonder if there is if there is a definition of the word Zim. Define Zim. Let's see what it says. Are you asking ChatGPT? No, just Google. Abbreviation okay. of Zimbabwe. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. That's it. That's nothing else. So, yeah. We, oh. we have had issues with that, actually. Urban Dictionary. Oh, really? That's come up, has it? So uh, the Twitter handle for Zim uh, is told by a Zimbabwean community. And they haven't used their handle for Oh, your audio. Sorry, your audio has gone really weird all of a sudden. Your audio is really weird as well. Oh, okay. What the, I haven't done anything on my end. Is your, are, your, um, are your pods running out of battery, maybe? Oh, yes. I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Ah, yes. There we are. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, sorry, you were saying about Zim. So what Twitter was it that was taken or something? Yeah, so the Twitter handle that we needed for the company was Zim. Uh, it was actually taken by a Zimbabwean community. 
and uh, they haven't used it for decades so we actually wanted to get it back but it's been a bit of a hassle so yeah we have uh, we have had connections with uh, Zimbabwean companies and uh, and the country itself so yeah I mean it I mean, yeah, it is what it is, but you know, a potentially baked in uh, branding audience there already in Zimbabwe that could use the product because they, they, you know, exactly. it, it resonates with them straight away. I do see as well in the Urban Dictionary, um, there's something related to Zimla, a silly kind of ditzy, absent minded person. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Never heard of that. I, I'm pretty sure the Urban Dictionary just makes shit up at this point. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so, um, the, you, you mentioned there about growth over the next couple of months. Now, that's always a scary thing. And I know we spoke about that before as well. But like, um, yeah, what is that that sort of roadmap of, of growth looking like? Does it feel like that you've, you've plotted out the last couple of months? Because like you said, it's your own admission. You like to plan things quite meticulously. Do you feel like that it's a pretty clear path of, sort of what the next the rest of this year is going to look like into maybe Q1 of next year? Yes. So planning is my thing and I have planned, uh, although I know that when I plan, it never goes uh, how I plan it because we're up world and we have new projects coming. So I always leave time for unexpected things. I hope it will go as I planned. Actually, I hope it goes better, You're but right. I'm always a bit more negative on the numbers side um, and how we're doing just because mm -hmm. I don't want to get my hopes really up and then promise things that I'm not going to be able to deliver. So I'm learning how to do that now. And yes, six months uh, from now, it looks nice. It looks like a really nice path. We are growing a lot in the B2C sector. We are growing a lot also in the B2B. So we're making deals with really, really cool companies. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, keep growing those channels, mostly B2B. And let's see where we are here uh, in in six months and also in one year. I can tell you what will happen in the next month. I'm not able to tell you what will happen in the next three months. <laughs> right, just to be safe, yeah. And can you yeah. can you explain a bit more to those listening? Because obviously we've talked about this before, but um, so I do already remember from that conversation, but what you mean more about the B2B side of things? Yes, so on the B2C side, as a customer, you can come to our app, buy an ECM plan, wherever you're going. Um, on the B2B, so we provide um, on a B2B2C uh, scale to companies that want to sell ESIMs to their consumers through our technology, um, through an API they can integrate with us and they get access to 190 destinations, so very easy for them. And mm -hmm. it kind of creates a new revenue channel for them. And then pure B2B uh, companies that want to um, decrease fraction for employees while they're traveling and not have those SIM cards key, uh, being exchanged. And also they want to reduce roaming costs. So we do have companies mm -hmm. that have a lot of employees traveling and they just need an eSIM management portal. We assign eSIMs to their consumers and their employees and that's it. That's awesome. So what kind of companies are you working with in sort of both of these scenarios typically? Like so, corporate, corporations, I imagine, for the latter one, but for, yes. the, for the first one, what sort of businesses generally want well, to be resettled? Travel mobility, everything that has uh, that has travelers as a center of their consumers, uh, it could be a partner of ours. Mm, so like travel agents and, and things like that? 
yeah, we can have travel agents, but also travel tech companies that offer, um, mm. for example, booking.com would be a great, amazing partner. Hey, booking, if you're listening to this, uh, drop me a DM. Um, but uh, And if you're listening to this, leave a comment, because that would be really good for the reach of this episode. <laughs> and some free credits for our next travel. That would be amazing. Yeah, 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 definitely. But asking for a bit too much here. Mm. But yes, um, for these type of companies would be amazing uh, partners. Yeah. Oh, and also booking.com, if you're listening, stop fucking me over on the room. Every time I book, you always I always get a different room. Stop fucking really? over. Right. Yeah, it's it's annoying. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If what I book free you... I actually stopped booking free booking.com now to be completely transparent because every time I would book a room, there would be like this small print that you would miss. Um I learned I learned quickly to to find it. But they, they would say, you know, sometimes your room the room that we show might not be available or and I and I remember one time going, I think it was even on a honeymoon my wife oh, and I no. went, yeah and we went uh, well, not like the official honeymoon but like a, a hotel we went to after the wedding for like a you know a yeah. day or two and they were like oh sorry no that room isn't available and I was like well we booked it for booking.com it's like yeah their policy isn't great that they they just they show that it's available even though it's not blah, blah, blah. and but they luckily they sorted us out but I remember being very annoyed and, and then deciding not to use them again because I don't oh. think that was the first time that happened either so okay. yeah they gave us two separate beds Oh no way! Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jesus. We haven't been married That's that long. It's only been a day. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now that'll be fine. We've been married five years. That'd be great. But uh, you know, maybe <laughs> not there. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I've been using uh, my parents' Booking.com account, and I think I'll use it for 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 forever uh, because yeah. they're genius. Three. They were. They they started using Booking in two thousand six. Wow. I think that's when they started, or 2011, but that was years ago. So they have so yeah. many points that I'm enjoying that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, well, it's probably my fault for just not reading the small print. But yeah, they, they would be a great partner because of, um, yes. yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the people that would be using their services. And then, yeah, I suppose any other areas you can book similar sort of things for travel would be would be great. So how were those talks going? Like, um, maybe not with booking.com. I don't know, maybe you are speaking with them. But, you know, uh, you know, how are these sort of partnerships developing and these other B2B things going? Are they going quite well? So yes, it, it is a it's a channel that we are exploiting quite a lot. So we are spend it's both my co-founder and I who are explo uh, exploring it at the moment. Right. We are looking to hire somebody uh, in the next months to actually take care of this channel for us because we are being uh, way too busy to to focus one hundred percent on this channel. Mm. Uh, but they're going well. We are doing a lot of warm leads. We are having a lot of inbound. So I do believe okay. we need to start exploring outbound because um, there's a lot of potential there. Um, but we are doing really, really cool project that we feel very related to. So we are working with a project. Um, I don't know if I can say it, but with a, a railway company, um, right. with a railway company, and it feels very close to heart because it targets tra travelers. We target travelers. Uh, we love their company values, and um, we hope that this will give example to other companies to join our B two B channel. Mm. Yeah, there's someone I'm going to have to introduce you to. Actually, I'm going to um, at some point. I'm not sure what you guys could maybe do together, um, okay. but he's actually a client of mine um, okay. that I work with. He's the, the the CEO and co-founder of an app called Zonda, which is an international travel uh, game, basically. Okay. So it gamifies travel. So you you get points when you visit different places, and it kind of just encourages you to you to explore. It's a beautifully designed platform. He's got thousands of thousands of users all across the world who are using the platform and it's just really interesting i don't know what maybe you could do together but you're but you know he's an early stage startup too 
Um, oh, nice. I, I wonder if maybe there's some crossover there because of yes, that. You know, yeah, it's re it's a really interesting thing that he's doing, and obviously, you know, you'd be you'd be serving the same sort of, for the most part, the same you know sort of community. Uh, you know, he gets a lot of people who, who like to explore locally too. Yeah. Um, but but equally internationally, it's kind of like his main thing. So yeah, I'll introduce you. I love maybe this. Yeah, he's a, he's a lovely guy, very interesting guy too, and um, yeah, that would be that be interesting. But, actually, um, when you are traveling abroad and you need to use an app to for the gamification part of your trip, you need to stay connected because mm -hmm. without connectivity, you don't have the access to the app. So there you go. There you are. Yeah. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, you get charged a shit ton of money. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. There you go. See, you you knew better than me. I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what. So uh, you know, I, I I just come up with the, the the baby of an idea, and I let other people do it. <laughs> way, so. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like to call myself the uh, the the um the, the father of unicorns, you know. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> no, I, I just made that up. I don't call myself that. Maybe one day. As well. Yeah, yeah, maybe one day that would be like my name, but uh, but yeah, that, that can be my what I aspire to. <laughs> um, so tell me a bit more about um about uh about you right so what what do you because look this is like going back to what we we're talking about about personality and story and stuff like that this is why i also love doing this there's another reason is i think it you know force people the opportunity founders the opportunity to to tell their story beyond just at the how the company started stuff but also about them so like tell me a bit more about you what what do you like doing outside of uh you know all of this nonsense do you have time for for hobbies do you have time for socializing like, and if you do, what kind of stuff do you do? Oh, wow. I love this question because it feels a harder question to answer than... Yeah. <laughs> part of it. Well, what do I do? What do I like doing? Um, you eat food. I love food. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I love food. I think everybody likes food. I, yes. I, if, if I'm just checking because a lot of founders forget. <laughs> no, no, no. I love food. So if somebody doesn't love food, it's not to be trusted. Because I agree. I mean, I'm plus right now. I'm living in London. I'm experiencing so many different cuisines. So definitely, that's a hobby. Uh, mm. If eating can be called a hobby. I would um, say so. Yeah. Because I don't really cook that much. Um, and if I cook, I only cook the same thing all over and over again. So um, definitely cooking is not a hobby. Um, I try to do some sports. Um, I'm starting to enjoy Pilates more uh, than any other thing right now. I do love swimming, but I'm in London and I do not have access to a pool. So that doesn't happen very often. But when I go back home in Spain, I do swim a lot. There's a big river in London. Oh, yes, because that's very feasible. On <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be already dead if I would uh, swim the, the river. Um, and I do like, I, I socialize with my friends. I see people on the weekends. Um, so you make time when you want to make time. And everybody mm -hmm. that says, yeah, I'm too busy. It means they don't just don't want to make time. So I do give myself time to see my friends, um, to see the people I love and spend time with them. And yes, I I am very focused on the company right now, but I do have also personal life, which I love. And I'm going on holiday uh, for one week starting tomorrow. And oh, yes, yes. Oh, Where are you going? Uh, to Indonesia. Oh, wow. Beautiful. <laughs> are you going by just by yourself or with some friends or family? With a partner. Sorry? With my partner. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. That's yes. great. 
Yeah, yes. so what kind, what kind of holidays do you like? Do you like the sort of resort, put your feet up next to a pool and a cocktail kind of holiday or more sort of traveling, you know, exploring, that kind of thing? Both. I like okay. the mixture of both. So yeah. I like to, in the after, like maybe I do not like waking up super early when I'm on holiday because I already do that on my day-to-day -day basis. Um, right. It doesn't feel like holiday anymore. Um, but I do like to spend some time relaxing but i also like to see stuff and uh, being a tourist i like being a tourist uh mm. i like also feeling the local uh culture but i like being a tourist i like to see touristy things I'm, mostly when i'm outside of europe i think it's key to kind of understand the country that you're visiting as well mm. uh, try new foods it's actually the second time i'm able to use zim for as a traveler rather than a business owner oh really since we started business because i haven't had time i yeah. haven't i haven't traveled internationally outside of europe since 2019. Mm. so well you could do it more and just say that it's company research yes i'm we're actually going to vegas in two weeks uh with my co-founder for mobile world congress and it's also an excuse to just Gamble. I mean, Vegas doesn't have <laughs> I mean, Vegas is not the best place to 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 go to because it doesn't have a lot uh, in terms of tour touristic interests. Mm. But we're going to see the Grand Canyon for the first time, so definitely I love traveling, and I don't think that will ever change. It's mm. one of my biggest passions. That's why I build a company, and yeah, traveling is a hobby. It's just I have a bit less time to do it. Yeah, yeah, but hopefully you can do more of that. And as the company grows, I mean, I was kind of joking about that excuse, but actually it is a valid one to a degree that you will want to be going to these different countries to maybe yes. speak with users, to speak with future investors in these countries, maybe set up new offices, like who knows, right? Yes. So actually as things grow, the, the opportunities there to, will present themselves more and more, hopefully. Exactly, exactly. And I do love that. Mm. Um, but it's true that I do love travel, but sometimes travel doesn't love me back because I get very, very jet lagged, very uh, sick. Mm. <laughs> so um, I need to kind of find that balance because I see many people that travel nonstop and I could myself, I couldn't be a digital nomad, mm. but I do would love to have that lifestyle. Yeah, I can't. I know a few people that just basically live in airports and I yes. just don't understand how they can do that. Like, yeah, know, it's, it's not for me yeah no that's that seems like a crazy lifestyle like yeah it's one thing to commute you know we our generation can't even commute to work you know a half an hour away let alone like a different time exactly. zone exactly. <laughs> exactly. yeah well that's great and you mentioned about your friends like so so a common theme that i've i've found in speaking with founders over the years is that um they they found it quite difficult to maintain relationships with their group of friends um as they've gone into entrepreneurialism and as they've started finding that founding their own companies because they found that there's a bit of a, a distance that comes between them yeah. quite often because of the shared experiences are no longer the same and so on how, how have you managed to navigate that with your your personal relationships have you found that difficult at all or yes um the good thing is i'm doing this experience with my best friend who is my co-founder so mm -hmm. we're actually really, really good friends before we started this right had to care a lot of our relationship because it's hard because at some point you only talk about business and you kind of forget the personal side of friendship yeah. um and we had to kind of talk about it and say yeah we are still friends we still need to talk about each other and our lives and still show appreciation because we are not only business partners we we also had a relationship before this mm. um 
and that for us it has been going really really well we just have this really good relationship where we can talk about anything at all times without uh fighting or getting mad at each other if there's things that we disagree on we talk about it so that has definitely helped my startup journey because working with somebody that is always there for you emotionally it's really 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 great mm -hmm. and also our relationship as friends i would say it hasn't improved but it hasn't uh it hasn't gone worse right so it's still there and we still we're still really good friends um with my other groups of friends so it depends on the person with some persons maybe because i have more um, we are more distanced physically um, because um, most of my friends are back in Spain. Um, you get a bit more separated emotionally as well because maybe I don't have time to call them uh, at all times uh, as we mm -hmm. did before. And with the, my friends have, were really supportive and are still being very supportive to, to, till now. So um, they are they are also quite interested. At the beginning, they were a bit more hesitant. Like, what right. are you doing now? They get a bit more interested. Um, so they ask now that you're funded, right? That's exactly. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah. They're more interested, and they ask questions, and it feels like uh, they find it interesting. It's yeah. true that maybe we don't have the same things. Like on my day to day basis, I discuss uh, million dollars investments and they discuss where they are going to go out that night, you know, so mm. different topics of discussion, but we still find a common ground. So my relationship has been good with my friends so far. I think I also am the type of person that nurtures it. Mm. And on my weekends, when I spend time with them, I spend time with them. Yeah. Um, I feel like it, it depends on the person. Um, mm. And also I tend to choose my relationships quite well. So I have friends that are very close that I know they're going to bring me value. Um, and I don't tend to go near toxic people. I hope so, at least. That's my perception. So yeah, for me, it has been a good experience so far. That's really good to hear because I think, uh, and, and I think a lot of people listening to this could take a lot away from that, what you just said, because it because yeah. of so many people I've spoken to have found that it's completely fallen apart, their social yeah. life, you know? And I think one of the main bits is is that you touched on there is about like the things that you talk about versus the things that they talk about. And they're yeah. just like, I, this is boring, you know, and I, I, you know, especially if they're so used to a, um, you know, a, a hectic day talking to, to, like you said, about all of the intricacies of business or having conversations like this that they find, you know, intellectually and emotionally stimulating. They then sort of sit yeah. down with their friends and just like, they're like, this is nothing. Like, what does, this is what are we talking about and and they, they feel very distant from that and mm -hmm. and vice versa their friends feel the same way so i think what you've described there is a really important thing to do which is to nurture those relationships regardless because they're important and these are people that you love and love you and you know don't don't let it go necessarily yeah, also, unless they're unless they're toxic obviously then yeah, like, exactly know. and also you don't need to talk about business 24 7. if no. you're on a day-to-day -day basis, it's nine to nine. You're all talking about business from Monday to Friday. Don't you want to like take a beer with your friends and just talk about normal stuff? Like mm. what did you eat and how did you prepare that? And where are we going to drink tonight on? Mm. What games should we play? These type of conversations that normal human beings have. Yeah. It's really important to keep that because otherwise you're never going to disconnect from your work and never disconnecting will make you literally you lose yourself in the process and mm. if you lose yourself then the business is going to be lost as well so it's like kind of a circle you cannot just be a business person 24 7. Mm. Yeah. You, need to be a friend. you need to be a partner you need to be if you have kids a dad a mom etc you need to be 
seven different personalities in order for you not to lose your mind. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and like to, 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 to that um, comment I made earlier about people not having purpose, like I think that's a that's a common mistake people make is that they believe purpose means having one purpose. And in fact, yeah. that isn't that doesn't satisfy our emotional and intellectual needs. A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network, subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments. It really helps us out. Thank you. As human beings, we we need to actually have multiple purposes in order to feel satisfied, you know, emotionally and physically and, and mentally and so on. Yeah. And that's, you know, through relationships, like you said, whether that's romantic relationships, friendship circles, responsibilities as a parent or a partner, you know, or a husband or a wife. Um, and then, yeah, professional, you know, responsibilities too. There's like the, there's there's a couple of things that need to be fulfilled yeah. there. And if, if all those boxes are ticked, you generally find you have a fairly well-rounded, stable individual um, who, who is happy in life. And that's that's like a considered to be a, a standard in, psych in, in psychology. You know, of, 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 as long as those things are fulfilled, the person is likely to succeed. But if something is missing, yeah. then there, there, there could be problems, you know, along the road. How, how has your partner been throughout the, throughout the whole process? Has he, has he had to put up with you ripping your hair out at points and stuff, I imagine? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think everyone next to me had to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even my parents saw me in really, really bad moments. My family. Um, That's what they're there for, though, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because otherwise, if you're alone, you would go completely crazy. Yeah. Um, and I had really, really bad moments. I had really, really great moments as well. So I think there's a balance. I'm going to have really bad moments in any job, right? Yeah. You always will have really bad moments in any type of path that you're going to take. Life is not easy. I mean, I think everybody wants what they don't have. I would like in the hard moments, I think, oh, my God, I would love to have a normal steady job that pays me X amount of money. But yeah. then I know I don't actually mean that. We all think that at some point. Right. We all think that. Like, what the fuck am I doing this for? Exactly. I just have the nine to five. You know, why don't I just go work at McDonald's? This is all bullshit. And exactly. then and then you're like, you wake up the next day and you're like, no, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I love that because everybody goes through that. When I yeah. tell to, the, to this to my family, to my friends, they're all like, but it happens to us every day. And some of them are like, I wish I could be you. And I was like, no, I wish I could be you. <laughs> so <laughs> it feels it feels like this for everyone. You just yeah. need to understand that the bad moments are never going to stop. And the good moments are never going to stop either. You're always going to have like ups and downs. And I do have downs. But I know that what I'm going to cry about today, it's not going to matter in three months. Mm. So well, it's like you said, not taking things too personally. Exactly. Like is is the key to that because um yeah i mean it, 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 it it's not going to help solve the problem i mean exactly. and and i've i've always had that opinion for everything in life which yeah. is you know if you if you dwell on something and have an emotional response to it it's it, or at least too emotional don't yeah. rob yourself of feeling but but like if it's too an emotional response that's not going to you know start getting the problem solved you need to sit down and start using your brain not your heart you know but i um i had a really interesting conversation in the last episode with two co-founders um, uh, who uh, we started talking about their faith. Their faith become a very prominent discussion. Um, uh, uh, pretty much the, the, the whole second half of the episode, actually, we were talking primarily about how their faith um, uh, plays a really important part in the way that they approach uh, running the company and dealing with, with hardship and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I thought that was really interesting, and I'd not had that conversation before, and it really opened my mind up to things. And a lot of what um, they were saying was that, you know, when they encounter 
um, difficulties and things like that, that they can relate that to just being God's part of God's plan. Yeah. And that they know that because of that, there's a comfort that, that they shouldn't, they don't need to overreact. They can just kind of take it as it comes, uh, deal with it and move on and not hold on to it because of that. And I thought that was really quite awesome to hear. Like that that's because of, you know, I think we all found different ways of, of, of getting to that same conclusion and yeah. the same way of dealing with it. But they've, they, they, for them, it was their faith that, uh, that, that got them there, which I thought was super interesting. What, what do you think is your motivational forces behind you getting to that point? Is it something similar? Is it something spiritual? Or is it more just lived experience? And, and yeah, what, what no, do you think? I think I, it's not faith. I'm not, um, I'm not a spiritual person. Hmm. Uh, what is it? It's making myself proud. Right. I think it's a big part of it. Making my parents proud as well, because I think at the beginning they didn't actually believe that we were going to go anywhere. Right. Um, and they're seeing this growing and it makes them happy, I hope. Mm -hmm. And I just really love what I'm doing. I feel like I wouldn't be better anywhere else at the moment. And I think that gives me a lot of motivation. And then finally, my biggest motivation is my co-founder. So. If I have a bad day, I call him, we have a laugh and we keep going. So, mm -hmm. and I think it's, I hope it's the it's the case for her as well. I th I do believe I motivate her as well. And having a good co-founder or somebody that you can rely on, I think mm -hmm. is motivation because there are days that I'm like, fuck this shit. Yeah. Like, literally, yeah. it's not worth it. And we talk about it and realize, and she's like, you don't realize how lucky we are to do what we are doing. And then, of course, he puts you to think, and you're like, okay, yes, you're right. Um, somebody asked me um, from a VC that they do behavioral um, investments. So they actually talk to the founders about their behaviors and ask really weird questions. Um, like, if you could be a dog, what dog would you be? But my, the question that was interesting to me was like, what would make you leave your business today? Interesting question. What would you say? What would I say? Yeah. Fuck no, I, don't, I honestly don't know. Like, I think the obvious answer would be like a shit ton of money, right? Um, but even then, thinking about it, it's like. No, but oh, leave I, your business today. Like, you yeah. need to go out of the door and never look back. That's crazy. Yeah, That's I, crazy. I don't think I can answer that question, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, because of, like I said, the, the, the obvious instinctive answer that comes to mind straight away when you hear that is, well, a shit ton of money, because then, you know, that's the whole point. And then and I'm like, no, but that isn't the only reason why I do this. Yeah. So actually, actually, if I had a shit ton of money, I would probably want to just keep doing what I'm doing. And then there wouldn't be enough to stop what I'm doing. I, I get more out of it than, than money, you know? What I answered, I didn't even thought about the money at that stage. I was like, <laughs> so lost about the question. And the only answer I had at the moment is, is my co if my co-founder leaves, I would leave as well. Right, yeah. And then they asked me like, why would your co-founder leave? And I was like, I don't know. You have to if ask you, her. If you left. <laughs> so then it's a it's exactly. impossible situation, yeah. I said, I don't know. Like, you have to ask her that question. Like, my interview is over now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I suppose yeah. for me it would depend on which business I, we're talking about yeah, <laughs> as <exactly>. well. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. And I think you answered that question perfectly, by the way. Um, I'm not sure. They never invested, so. so. Oh well, well, fuck them then. Like, it's a stupid <laughs> question. <laughs> I take back what I said. It's not an interesting question. It's a stupid <laughs> question. 
It was an interesting chat. It was definitely yeah, an interesting yeah. chat. And uh, I do have a really good relationship with a person that handles, uh, that works in that fund. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's been fun. Well, I mean, I suppose for me, that's that's the ideal answer. But actually, maybe for an investor, that's a, that's a red flag. Because it because it's like well if 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 we need to fire this person or if they're underperforming you know can we expect this person to make a tough decision and that's quite often a a, a consideration for a lot of investors about personal relationships yeah. between co-founders and yeah. and and other founding members it's like you know if you're friends with them if you're married with them or if you have a romantic yeah. relationship with them can you make hard decisions with them and if you can't then they're like no which is why so many um, founders who are romantically involved don't get funding. Exactly. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But for us, we are, we are really good friends. If at some point a decision needs to be made, one of us leaving, I think we would talk about it. Uh, mm. Of course, that has never been the case so far. Um, but yes, definitely, it would be a hard decision. And honestly, like I've seen co-founders that they didn't know each other before, uh, like really well before they co-founded a company. And it went like shit because the relationship was really, really bad because literally they didn't know how to handle each other. So yeah. what is What's better, having a really successful company with two people that know each other very, very well, but you cannot kick any of them out if you don't kick both, or mm -hmm. having a company that's going really shit because the co-founders don't know each other, but you can kick right. one out. So at the end of it, the VCs have to, and investors in general, they have to take a decision, and it's their own problem. It's always a gamble, I think. You know, it, their, their job is to just mitigate risk, to assess risk and mitigate it. And, you know, they, they do that for in a number of ways that you and I probably won't fully understand. But, exactly. um, but you know, th this must be a calculation, right? Does, does, the benefit, does the benefit outweigh the risk? And, and that's all part of the consideration. But, but to your point about you and your co-founder, like how, how have you ever had to deal with, you know, it must be quite difficult to navigate certain situations, right? But given your personal relationship, like have you ever found yourself in sort of difficult situation where you've had to, you know, take take them aside, you know, and, and say, look, I'm not too happy about this. And and if so, like how how did that go 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 basically? Did it go, you know, do you feel like that the relationship is strong enough, that the co-founder relationship is strong enough that you were able to to transcend that and just get through it? Or did it maybe in the beginning feel a little bit strange and cause some problems? No. So even if personally we are disagreeing, like yeah. on personal life matters, not the business matters. Right, right. We are not maybe looking at the same page at the moment, and we are literally not mad at each other, but just not happy. Yeah. We don't let that interfere with the business ever, ever, ever. And in business matters, so far, so good. We have had a couple of disagreements, but never something major that wouldn't, uh, that would fuck our relationship up. Yeah. Um, does that not worry a little bit that you haven't had that experience yet? That if something big was to come up, that because you haven't been there yet, that it would be entirely new and you wouldn't maybe know how to navigate that? Or do you feel like that's a good thing? Because it means actually, probably if something big was to come up, we would just deal with it the same way we always have. I think we do have a really good communication skills, all yeah. both of us. And I think we will talk about it. And mm. if there's something that we don't, we disagree on this, and it has happened in the past that we disagree on stuff. And I know what her skills are. And she knows what my skills are. So in some things, I, I said, okay, you know this. I won't interfere. You take the decision. I, I will agree with you. And the most important thing is I agree with her publicly on everything that we talk about. Mm, that's good. Even if, and uh, then we will talk it behind. This is the same thing as with a romantic relationship. You never yeah. disagree with your partner in public. Absolutely. Like, no, you just don't. You don't talk bad about your uh, co-founder. Even yeah. if they did something, you'll talk it in, in the behind. Um, so I think yeah. that is really, really key because I've seen co-founders tear each other up yeah. publicly. 
and the company goes to shit because nobody's going to trust you yeah yeah exactly yeah and yeah it's just like you're, you're right to make that comparison with like a romantic partner too like i'm i'm a i've always been an advocate for that like i've you know having met you know uh boyfriends and girlfriends of people and they're just moaning about it i'm like what the fuck are you doing like i would never say a bad word about anyone i've been in a relationship exactly. with let alone my wife exactly. like what the fuck like this is someone that you're meant to love and, and cherish yeah. like it, and and it's yeah and respect and it sounds and, and also it could be something very insignificant and small but the fact that you vocalized it yeah. like that's all you're vocalizing you're probably not sitting there telling them about all the great things so yeah. that they're only taking away the negative thing because like we've talked about people that's that's what people remember so it's like you're painting a very bad picture of another person when you when you do that which is just awful like uh, the, the the two that I, uh the co-founders that i was talking about that i interviewed in the last episode they couldn't speak highly enough of each other and, I, and I've, I've met a few co-founders like that now of these that i've had on and it's just been so wonderful to see how supportive and and you know how they just big each other up right like yeah. You know, it's just great. Like even this one, what the one co-founder there, he he actually did the introduction of the other because he was like, I'm going to have to do his introduction because he's too humble, and he <laughs> won't. You know, and he did it, and it was amazing. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's I mean, really really great to hear. It's what makes business work: good relationships, and yep. you're going to get into a. It's even worse than being married. Having <laughs> yeah. it's even worse. Like you spend so much time with the same person yeah. every day, and of course the stress that comes with it. So make a good choice. I think you talked about giving tips to other founders. Just choose a good co-founder. Yeah. Because yeah. when you you're when you're bad, your co-founder will be able to lift you up or be good at least. Mm. I've been yeah. sick this year a couple of times. I had COVID three times and I had the flu oh. one time. So. Really, really bad luck uh, this past year in terms of health. And who covered for me? My co-founder. And she understands. She's not going to tell me, oh, well, fucking hell, you have been sick the third time this year. No, she's going to understand because she knows me. And I've heard about co-founders that are like, oh, no, you're always, uh, you're always sick. Well, I'm sorry. But mm. need to talk to have open communication. Mm. Like, hey, I'm not feeling well. Can you cover for me? Things like that are really, really important. And... It's a, bit of, a bit of empathy goes a very long way. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm very fortunate as well. Like, just to, I just realized I haven't brought up my co-founder, but you know, my oh, co-founder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, he, he's incredible. And, and this for the for this for the SaaS startup that I'm I'm, I, I'm working on. Um, you know, we we met a long time ago now, um, where he had had the version of the product, which is you know going to be drastically changed at launch. But um, incredibly intelligent guy, and and you know, just a wonderful mannerism about him. A very very kind person. Um, very warm and and you know just you know there's some people you just meet just like you're a good human being like yeah. and that and and the fact that he's incredibly intelligent and knows the problem and the solution inside and out too like and has a mind that works in a way that is is hugely complementary to mine I think is is what appealed to me and I was like that's why when it came to the decision of deciding to be co-founders together it was like it's a no-brainer for me exactly. I don't know I don't know what he would say about me, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and you know, and also I like to think that I'm quite an adaptable person, and I think that's a really important trait to have as a CEO. Going back to what we were talking about about you know growing up with with international students or, or going to school with a lot of people from different cultures, you learn to be adaptable, yes, um, and not necessarily change your entire person, but at least cater different personalities and recognize that you know maybe you need to take a bit more of a back seat in a social interaction and maybe you need to be a bit more up front and 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 things like that you can be a bit, bit more yeah. of a social chameleon 
um, in things. And I think that helps too. Yes, you know? 100%. Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned that question about what would it take for you guys to leave, right? So I'm curious now, if you were both, you and your co-founder, let's say in two, three, four years time, to get a great offer um, to buy the company, there's your exit opportunity. You know, you've you've taken the company to where you wanted it to go. It's now, you know, turning over billions or millions or whatever. And then you now get a great offer on the table and you both decide to take it. So I'm making the decision for you. Okay. <laughs> what do you reckon would be next? Do you think you would both want to do something else together, maybe go out on your own? And, and obviously there's a lot of unknowns by that point. You might hate each other. I don't know. But let's assume the relationship's still great, right? Um, what do you think? Like, would you would you both want to, to do this again, do you think? or? Yes, 100%. Yeah. I, I say sometimes that I would never go back to startup, but I sh I'm sure I will. <laughs> I think we would take a break. Yeah. To use the product that we actually built, go travel several months, relax, see the world, experience new things. Well, you said there was a good cash, right? So we would yeah, yeah. use a bit of that cash to just give ourselves a tap in the back and just travel the world. I'm not saying together, but uh, but yeah, I think she, she mentions that a lot as well. She's like, well, I'm, I want to travel. Um, and then, yes, I think we'll do it all over again. We were discussing a lot of times about a fund um we don't really love how vcs work nowadays we we have found several vcs that are really realigned with what we think and our values but most of them are not so looking at vc investing and all of that in startups i would mm. i believe it will make us happy or if we have another good idea why not start all over again mm, yeah have you have you had any more ideas since uh yes and i know they're not in my phone and then I forget about them because I know I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I have pages and pages of notes on my phone of random ideas. Random just, ideas, yeah. It just doesn't stop, does it? I think this is one thing that, that isn't talked about enough in, in entrepreneurialism as a whole is that, you know, you, you don't just get ideas about your own company. You get ideas yes. for, like, things that are just you know, miles away. Like, that's just the way that your brain is wired, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. I had ideas for completely enterprise focused and I had ideas for consumers, but very targeted niche of consumers. And then I'm realizing, yeah, well, this idea is nice. If in five years, 10 years, whatever, I'm exiting them, it still works out. Why not? But uh, there's the market is so fast. You get so many new things every day out in the market. And now I'm going to focus on uh, Telco and Eason, and then we'll see what comes next. I would love to have a restaurant or something related to food. Oh, really? Interesting. I would love to. I know it's really, really hard. Mm. I wouldn't be cooking, so making that clear. Um, <laughs> but I would love to have some anything related to food. Mm. Well, there's several things that you could do there, I'm sure, yeah. but probably a, a whole variety of things you could do there. But um, you mentioned about VC, the VC thing. W what is it that you would you think that you would do differently there? Like, what is it that that's that's prompted sure. that idea? So I'm not sure how much legal power we would have to make things differently. So right. first we would need to we would need to research on that because every as everyone as every good founder, everybody wants to change the world, but does the world want to be changed as well? Mm. Um, 
what we want is to get more support to startups act as more of an accelerator that invests since day one mm. uh, which i know there's many but it's just i've seen i've i've gone through a couple of accelerators that literally changed my founder journey and i would love to be able to do the same for startups mm. um i like to i would also like to focus on female founded startups um there's still a huge gap to be filled there mm. um but yeah, I, I, we would have to research more on how we would be different, but I would like to get involved in a startup, not just give money and forget about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually be a, be the mother of, of unicorns. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you, you, you brought up the, the issue around, um, around female founders or the lack thereof. You, you're not the first person on, on this show to bring that up. Um, and I'm curious because the last last person who brought it up a couple of episodes back, um, you know, I we, we she she mentioned some data and I I pointed out that I think the problem with a lot of this data is that you know if you have a a, a pool, um, if you're looking at I think it was the data specifically around how many female founders get get funded, yeah. and it's it's an incredibly no, low number. Mm -hmm. But I was just sort of curious. Now you know I, I play devil's advocate with these sort of things just to be certain. I, I think it's probably very clearly accurate and wrong but could it be that perhaps it's um it's it, it's just an indication a, a a proper representation of actually how many women are in the startup industry as a whole right so if there are already a, a small amount and the majority is just you know straight white men well then the vast majority we're going to see funded are straight white men because there's more of them and, and maybe that's that's an, an accurate amount actually that should get funded right um i don't know um but i'm curious like what what are your feelings on on because if then we got into a bit of a conversation about it i'm just curious what were your feelings on on the whole issue like do you feel like there is some sort of suppression going on or is it the case that maybe there's just not enough women as a whole you know even entering the the the, yeah. the, the scope of found of, of being a founder so definitely both right there's not enough female founders I think it's a circle. There's not enough female founders because there's not enough examples of successful female founders. And it goes like in a circle. When you go to a, a, a little girl like, okay, tell me, well, let's not say little because I have little uh, nephews and nieces and they do not know about uh, company founders. Uh, somebody at university, like, tell me your biggest motivation, motivational CEO or uh, like, Tell me the name of the first CEO that comes to mind or first founder. They'll go, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Like, mm. there's no female examples there. Although there's been many females in leadership roles and founders that are well known in the market, but people do not know them. Mm. See, the people do not know them. So is the mirroring effect for sales, like when you do sales, you kind of tend to mirror the other person to make them feel more comfortable. Mm. If a female doesn't see another female doing a job that they would like to do, maybe they're not going to risk doing it. Mm. So there, it's a circle. We need to tell more females that, hey, you actually can do this. And it's a market that's open for all. Also tell females that you don't only need to do female focused products. You can also get into other industries such as I don't know, enterprise or telco, like we did. Telco mm. is dominated by male and we still entered it and we are fine. We survived. We're okay. We're not traumatized. So we need to showcase that we can do more stuff uh, that is related to the 
a whole bunch of new technologies and innovations. Um, and also, there is lower female representatives in VC and in investment. There's lower mm -hmm. angels, there's lower females in venture capitals. So, of course, if you normally you tend to relate to the person that you're talking to because we we are always going to be biased. Humans mm -hmm. are biased, right? Um, so a male will interact better with another male because they know, they think there's a familiarity there. Since there's no not enough females that work in investment, there's there's going to be less investment for female mm. founders. So I think it's always a circle and it goes back and forth. I hope numbers are going to improve and I've and I see more of my friends that are girls that wants to pursue entrepreneurship and I'm really really happy about that. And there's many more communities and funds that are being created for this. But there's still a huge gap to be filled and we are heading into towards the right direction but we still need to improve many things yeah and it's an interesting topic as well because of like you know i've heard the arguments on both sides of this that that there is a problem that there isn't a problem that that actually the reason why we don't see as many women in these positions um whether it's in vc or, or as founders or whatever is because mm -hmm. it just doesn't play into the biological or neurological makeup of of women as much as it does in, to men um which is a is a is a is a fair argument that you know there's a certain amount of personality traits that are inherent in both genders um that that you know that, that these roles play into right for the most part not always you're always going to get outliers so then of course these kinds of roles are always going to be appealing more to men but then the the counter to that is okay well then we need to do something about these roles to make sure that they do appeal more and the environments and you know if if a VC fund you know environment isn't you know appealing to a woman then what's the problem there so there's I I see all sides of everything that's just the way I I my brain operates I guess but it's just an interesting topic because of for me, I always come back to like what I said in this, like you know, this episode I mentioned. I, I feel like it all starts in school, yeah, you know, like that. Yeah, like when when you look at the portion of men versus women going into say STEM fields, you know, uh, versus things like healthcare and childcare and things like that. Well, you know, it's clear and and. And again, the, the the reasons for that that, that that psychologists will give you and and social scientists will give you is because well, women are naturally inclined more to things that involve people and looking right. after people, whereas men are more inclined to looking at things that involve solving complex problems and you know figuring things out and building things and taking things apart. And these are our main personality differences. But um, so yeah, like what could we do in schools maybe to change that? I think that's the key. Do, yeah. What do you think we should maybe do in in schools to maybe make these subjects a bit more appealing across the board because also the problem goes the other way too like you know a lot of people say in childcare yep. um, and in schools that we need more men right so this yeah. isn't a one-sided issue in, yeah, in any industry like there's a lot of industries that are dominated by women where we need more men too so it's like yeah. you know what do you think we should maybe do to make these things a bit more even or should we or should we just leave nature to do its thing no <laughs> i think we should we should intervene of course we should yeah. um educating kids it's the most important thing because they are the future right uh when we see gen later generations that they already have biases and it's really hard to change those for kids that's really easy it's it's really easy to educate them on new things and i think there's been big improvement there um but showcase that there is the 
many different options that they can be pursued. Like also everything that is related to books, books that kids read at school. Mm. And the books that they read at school, they they don't change those books, which is really frustrating because there's new books coming up and they should change those things. Because if you read a book that was written 50 years ago, that's going to say mommy will be a nurse, daddy will be an engineer. Of course, it comes on a bias for the kid's mind. Mm. I think so, they're making changes to those things now. I, so, I'm hearing a lot about that, where they're trying to make these things a little bit more neutral and so on. Sometimes they think they're doing it a bit to the extreme um, <laughs> in certain cases, but yeah. Yeah, they should they should change those things because yeah. we are changing as a society and we should change also education with it. Um, and also tell kids that there is other options rather than being a mathematician or a doctor or a nurse or ex like the mm. traditional types of jobs that you can be an entrepreneur, that you can build your own thing, that you can you can be a coder, you can, I don't know, you can even be a hacker, whatever, but that there is other options because kids tend to discover that there's other options when it's too late. Yeah. And I would love for my, for my niece and nephew to know that you can start being entrepreneur. You can actually be whatever you want to be. You don't, you don't have to follow the rules. You don't even have to go to university. Mm. like that's something huge like we yeah. were told that if you don't go to university you're nothing and that's mm. not true i know so many entrepreneurs that are super successful super smart people that never went to university and mm. ask me what i have learned in four years at university i have learned in two years and a half with zing five thousand times more than what i learned at university and masters mm. which i paid one kidney to go to but to counter that slightly i so I went back to education later, okay. later in life because I dropped out of school. I was a terrible student. <laughs> I got kicked out of school and I, I wasn't. But I, I think that going thinking back to that now, it's because I was bored. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't feel challenged. And so I just I yeah. just fucked around. Um, and then I went back to education and went back to university to do my degree later in life. And in fact, did a lot of, you know, yeah courses of, of all kinds in fact it, right now is the longest period of my adult life I haven't had something I was doing on the side educationally yeah. um, I redid my GCSEs I went to university I did all of that all home learning stuff and one thing that I recognize that I personally believe is really important from the 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 um, the further education experience so like college and university is that it teaches you how to learn yeah, right that's right um, so although the topic that you're learning may not be particularly useful like maybe you go and you learn I don't know psychology and you end up being an engineer or whatever the important thing about it was critical thinking and I think that that was the really important part that you know perhaps you didn't need four years and 22,000 pounds worth of debt yeah. to learn but there's something in that which I think was really important this ability to dissect uh, you know a body of text to, to write yeah. an essay to you know all of these skills that actually are really important to learn a topic you then apply to life Yes. And I think that skill was far more important than any of the knowledge actually yeah. that I learned because of in actuality, the business degree that I did, I had already done most of the stuff that exactly. I was being taught. So that wasn't it. But 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 the, the you know the Harvard standard for writing an essay and and, and yeah. all this sort of stuff, that was actually super useful. How to do the research, how to think through a problem, how yeah. to dissect it. Um so for that I would I I would probably recommend to my children go to yeah. university. But I would hope by that point there might be some other alternative. Because <laughs> university yeah. now, I, I also I did a course of politics with economics, so you can imagine right. how traditional and everything by the book was. Yeah, um, yeah. I would love to see courses that are different. Mm. 
I don't know, something about entrepreneurship. And I've seen that in uh, in other people that I've met. Uh, I had uh, this uh, colleague at my accelerator that did an entrepreneurship university course. And the way he was prepared compared mm-hmm. to us, it was crazy. So yeah. I hope that it will change and it will adapt more. And- I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a lot more people uh, do um, executive MBAs now. Yes, which is really good. The only problem is they're very expensive, but yes. like they're they're really good. And, and but of of course, the idea of those is that you're already in an executive role, and then you do them. I think it yes. would be great to see something similar to that, exactly. like but on a lower entry level where you can do it part time because that's the, the big perk of the EMBA is that you do them at weekends basically, yes. and your business can also pay for part or all of it too. Yeah. Like something like that would be really fucking awesome to see, yes. like, especially for young people. You know, because of one thing that I, I've noticed over the years working with startups, too, is that startups breed more founders. Yes. So the vast majority of startups you see have usually been founded by people who are, you know, uh, entry level coders or, you know, salespeople yeah. or whatever at, at a startup. And then they yes. go off and create their own. So it's like, you know, it'd be great to see some organization and some educational you know, um, institutions come together to recognize that yes. actually each startup is an incubator for more startups and to foster these people and train them not only would that be beneficial to the startup themselves because their staff is getting upskilled yeah. in the art of everything to do with business and and leadership and all that but then also you're preparing the next generation you know um so maybe there's an answer there i don't know 100 that's what you yes. can do that's what you can do when you exit but there you go another startup idea yeah yeah exactly right this is what we do <laughs> Fucking I, I have to write that one down as well jesus <laughs> you should it's a great idea and i think it would change many many things if startups mm. and educational institutions would work together mm. but i have thought about that a lot because i remember work, working years ago with when i worked with the startup booksy um and i was working with barbershops right which is you know the very first uh, customers that booksy was serving uh you know what 10 years ago whenever it was now and um i remember encountering a there was a big problem with barbers and this is an odd comparison but bear with me there was a there was a a, a big problem within barber shops and hair salons and stuff of people deciding to leave and quit and start their own barber shop right and it would piss off the barber they were like they've, they've just left yeah. me and now i need to hire someone else and they've opened a shop down the road they're now my competition fuck them yeah. and there would be these big feuds between people like almost over territory like gangs and stuff right and then mm-hmm. one day i meet a guy who's um, a bit of an influencer in the world of barbering. He's quite, you know, a bit of a barber rock star, you know, a lot of followers online, goes to shows and all that. And his approach was entirely different. He trained everyone in his shop on the assumption that they would one day want to open their own shop. And so from the very beginning, that's how he trained them. He wouldn't just train them to be great at cutting hair. He would train them on the business, the economics, the infrastructure, the everything about it. And he was more than happy to train people to a standard. And then if they got to a point where they could afford, you know, he would pay them them well as well. So if he could, you know, get them to a point where they could open their own shop, then either they could open another shop for him or they could open their own. He didn't mind. He was like, be successful. That's all I care about. And as long as you're here, yeah. And as long as you're here and you do a good job, fine. And I'm like, that's a really good model. That's really smart. Yeah. Like that's a really good model. Imagine if we did that in startups with everyone. Yeah. You know, like that that's great. So don't just train a future leader, train a future business owner. Exactly. You know, suddenly that reframes everything and the way that we approach everything. Now now we're we're looking at the whole ecosystem. We're not just looking at ourselves. And I wonder if there's something to that that could be replicated in what we do. That would be you know? amazing. That sounds yeah. ideal. 
Mm. Yeah, a lot of work though. <laughs> a lot of work and a lot of uh, bureaucracy with the, with yeah. the educational institutions. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, we're coming towards the end. So like I alluded to earlier, there is a little bit of a section I do at the, the end of it, which is yeah. to, to pick your brain on what you would say would maybe be some of your tips, just to like leave everyone who's listening with some ideas, maybe some key takeaways from you, things that you've learned. You've already given one, but maybe there's some more that you've thought about since. Um, so yeah, uh, what would you say? Take, take it away. The mic is yours. What, what would you want to part? Parting words of wisdom surround yourself with people that have the same mindset as you business-wise i mean have a great team build that great team take the time to build that great team because many people don't actually take the time because they're too focused on other stuff the team is the most important thing at the beginning of the journey have a good co-founder be be able to trust them uh i think that's really, really important as we said humor take things with a pinch of salt you're going to receive like 1,000, 100,000, sorry, um, advices from everybody around you. Yeah, I'm just... guilty of that too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's good. Take them, but interiorize them and use what's useful for your business. Um, you know your business better than anybody else. Don't be scared of investors. Investors should be scared of you and how passionate you are and how ambitious you are. Um, so yeah make your, your your investors are actually your friends mm. i mean they gave you money to for you to pursue your idea and your dreams so you should be able to talk to them on one-on-one not be afraid of what they're gonna say because the money's already there now they need to support you and i see a lot of startups are like i'm so afraid i'm going to an investor meeting no be relaxed. You need to definitely tell your investor what's going on. Be honest, be transparent, but don't be afraid of them. Because um, otherwise, this is not a good, it's really, really toxic. Yeah, um, so it's an imbalance of power in, a, exactly. in, a, in an interaction otherwise, yeah. Exactly. Um, trust your team, delegate. I, use, I, I, I was used to do everything myself. And once we started having a team, it was really hard to delegate. But it's really, really important because you cannot do everything. And I think that's a really important lesson. Don't do everything. It's impossible. You're not going to be good at everything. I'm not good at marketing. I know this. I'm really shit at color picking. Uh, somebody, uh, her brand strategist, at some point, she was like, what do you prefer, this or this? And I said completely the opposite from everybody else in the team. And of course, they didn't go with my thoughts because it was bullshit. Mm. So you know what you're good at. Exploit that. You as a manager, I think manager doesn't mean you have to control people. What you have to do is identify the, their skills and exploit those skills. Mm, so mm. If your skill is not on marketing, that's okay. You have a team that will be doing that for you. And it doesn't mean you're better or worse than them. It's just that it's not your thing. Um, so don't do everything. because it's. It, if you do everything, it, the company is going to go to shit because you're not going to be good at everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. If you try and do everything, you'll do everything badly. Focus exactly. on doing some things exactly. really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah good exactly. advice. I designed our first website. That was definitely not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's what you needed at the time, right? Exactly. So yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then when I got somebody actually designing our website, I realized that no, okay, I'm not good at this. I'm not good yeah. at design. Yeah, yeah. I designed our first website, for example, the one that's live now for for observing. That's I my design. I've got a bit of a background in design, but still, okay. I know. Well, that's but good. I know. Yeah, it's, it, so it's okay. But I know it's not going to be the one we're using forever, right? It's exactly. Like, we'll get some professionals in at some point. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which is great because that's why yeah. you surround yourself with people that know what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And just briefly, one one last question um, before I let you go. You mentioned about the importance of finding a really good co-founder. What about those people out there that are listening that are kind of very, very early on in their journey? They're solo. You know, they, they've got the idea. They're maybe just building it out. Should there's always this question I get asked: Should I find a co-founder? Because the 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 the, the, the advice out there seems to always be get a co-founder, get a co-founder. Do you think that's always the case? No, no. Depends on what you're building and mm. your personality as well. Can you work with somebody else? Who can you work with? What mm. personality do they need to have to complement you? Because you cannot be working towards the same thing. If you get somebody that's very similar to you, you might like clash on so many things. If you get somebody that's too different, you might not be able to take decisions. You need somebody that's complementary. And if you are a person that doesn't work well in a duo or a team, you should think about about it before getting a co-founder. I know so many great founders that they're solo founders. It's mm. not about getting, you don't have to get a co-founder to please your investors. That's definitely not what should happen because, mm. okay, you please your investors, but maybe you doomed your business forever. Yeah, you can still you can still manage it with just some senior members of staff later down That's the road, right. maybe. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. There's not always the need of a co-founder. Our business has so many different verticals that if I wouldn't have a co-founder, I would just work 24 seven and that's right. not possible because i cannot yeah. concentrate on supplier on 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 the b2c supplier and the b2b supplier and all mm -hmm. of those things mm -hmm. we need operations to be handled by my co-founder and i need to handle the the financials yeah 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 good advice good advice thank you so much and look thank you for joining me it's we'll, we'll wrap it up now um, as so always much. happens yeah my pleasure and what always happens with these conversations is that the two hours flies by Bye bye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is interesting. I, I always get worried, like you know, when I first book them, you know, because of busy individuals, right? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, sorry to take two hours of your time. I know, but That's it's. I really enjoy this. And also, I'm going to have lunch because I haven't had lunch today yet. Yeah, me too. I need to do the same thing. Like, that's the story of a sort of fact. Like I said, we forget to eat sometimes, exactly. right? Exactly. Our favorite thing to do and we forget to do it. But yeah, I need to eat too. So, um, but yeah, look, so lovely seeing you again. And we'll, we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure, um, whether it's in person at one of these, you know, events coming up or, or online again. And uh, keep up the amazing work. It's really exciting. And yeah, you've got a cheerleader. Um, as always, Amazing. So. thank you so much, Greg, for your time. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely see you in the next events. Definitely, definitely. All right, enjoy your lunch. Thank you, you too. Have a good oh, one. Oh, and enjoy your and enjoy your trip to Indonesia soon. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward. Have a good Cheers. one. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for watching and/or listening. Please like, subscribe, and join the conversation in the comments below.